Welcome to Building Teams with Teams & Co, where we explore how leaders can empower their teams, achieve ambitious strategies, and deliver an exceptional customer experience. Views expressed by guests are their own and may not reflect the views of Teams & Co. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you're listening to this, hope that you're having a fantastic day. My name is Mike Vagalis, and you're listening to the Building Teams with Teams & Co podcast. Uh, Tracy wasn't able to make it today, so uh, we know that Tracy's doing great things out in a client meeting right now. But I have the great privilege of talking to a very close friend of mine, Caleb Hupp. And Caleb, how are you doing this morning? Welcome into the podcast. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. Really appreciate you joining today. For everybody that's listening, Caleb and I got to be uh, good friends in business school. You'll see me wearing my uh, Northwestern Kellogg shirt in honor of uh, this podcast. So uh, really excited to talk with one of my best friends, uh, one of the best leaders that I know, and to learn from Caleb and, and his experience. So Caleb, before we jump into more of the you know, business side of things, serious things, uh, you know, it's summer. You're living in the great city of Cleveland. Uh, what do you got going on this summer? Um, how's it been for you so far this year? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, this summer, man, it's crazy to believe that it's already June. You know, the year's almost half over. I feel like it just got started. Uh, it's yeah. been an interesting past, you know, 15 months, I think, for everybody since the onset of the pandemic. So, you know, my... Uh, my wife, Heather, and I are really excited to get back out there and uh, enjoy ourselves a little bit more this year than uh, than maybe we were able to last year due to the shutdowns and everything. So uh, so tonight we're going to an Indians game. We're, we're looking forward to that. But yeah, as far as other stuff going on this summer, I, we don't have any major plans. We had our, our wedding on May 1st, as Mike knows. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He was there with us uh, celebrating the big day. So a lot of our time and energy went into planning the wedding. And now that that's over, uh, calendars semi-empty for the rest of the summer. Got a couple races and um, endurance events going coming up that uh, are taking a lot of my free time to, to train for that. <laughs> but other than that, yeah, just working away and trying to enjoy the summer. Yeah. And so Caleb is one of these people that is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to him today, and we'll get into this a little bit more, uh, but Caleb has this awesome ability to focus and really dedicate himself to multiple things, um, being a great friend, a great husband, um, a tremendous professional, and then also just doing crazy things like running Ironman races. So I know you've got a couple of those coming up. Uh, when are those th this year? I got one this weekend in Des Moines and don't let Mike fool you. I'm uh, it, I do participate in these activities, but I am not good at them by any stretch of the imagination. I am a very mediocre to um, below average triathlete, probably way below average, honestly, <laughs> but I just do it as something to, you know, keep me active, keep me healthy and um, try to stay focused. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got one coming up this weekend in Des Moines, my hometown, uh, and then one later this fall in Muncie, Indiana. W one funny story, and then, Caleb, we're really excited to hop into your background. Uh, when we were in business school together, uh, there was one day where Caleb was training for, I think, an Ironman, maybe a marathon, I, I don't know. And we were sitting in class, I think it was a finance class, and Caleb leans over and is like, hey, I'm going for a run after class, do you, you want to join? 
and I sort of naively said, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm up for a run. And come to find out that his training run that day was like 12 miles. And up until that point, I had not been a 12-mile run sort of person. So Caleb took me out and kept things sort of at my pace. And we did the run. And then I proceeded to collapse for about half an hour. Uh, and then we went out for pizza. And it ended up being a, a great night. And I felt really good that I was able to, <laughs> to get out there and, and go with you. So, Yeah. Yeah. It was a fun day. Fun times. I don't know that you'd ever ran that far, had you? That was my first time. That, that that was my first, and then later he convinced me to to run a marathon with him. So we ran a marathon together a couple of years ago, and then from there he's he's now trying to convince me to do an Ironman or some sort of triathlon. So we'll see if if you guys hear me training for one of those at some point, you'll know the culprit. <laughs> well, Caleb, let's hop in a little bit more into your background. Um, want to start really in your decision to to join the army. And I know you've had some unbelievable experiences uh, with the Army, some really, really great and positive and, and some really difficult. So I want to just turn it over to you. Can, can you walk us through first your decision to, to serve and then second, what that experience was like and, and what were some of the big things that you learned that you've taken with you from, from your time in the Army? Yeah, so I have some military background in my family. My mother actually retired from the Iowa National Guard um, after 40 years of service. So I kind of grew up around the military, although I never really thought that that was the path for me uh, until I graduated high school and started college at the University of Iowa. Uh, you know, at that time, our country was uh, pretty deep into major conflicts in both Iraq and Afghanistan and led me to reconsider and think about, you know, what I could do to, it was hard for me to kind of just stand back and, and watch other people going to fight for our country. You know, it just seemed like a great opportunity that I could participate in. So a little bit of it is because of the military history in my family. A little bit of it is, be, you know, from this greater sense of duty, but there's a huge portion of it that was self-serving as well. You know, I took out that first student loan as a <laughs> as an undergrad, and that was more yeah. money than I'd ever even seen in one place. And, you know, so thinking about how I could get my college education funded while, uh, you know, maybe going on a, an adventure of a lifetime for a few years, uh, that really resonated with me too. So when I added all those things together, I... Uh, you know, I decided decided to join the ROTC program at the University of Iowa. And, you know, that's kind of what fueled my decision to join the military. You know, I really look back fondly on my time in the Army. You know, I ended up serving as an infantry officer in the Army for five years. You know, I really look back fondly on my time in the Army. At the end of the day, I just decided it wasn't a career that I wanted to stick with forever. Yeah. So walk us through, what, what does that mean to be an infantry officer serving over in the Middle East? Um, what sort of leadership role did you have and what just generally were the the day-to-day -day activities that you that you did when you were when you were serving yeah my first full year was spent going through various schools infantry officer school being one airborne school where you learn how to jump out of planes ranger school which is kind of the army's small unit tactics training school from there, I was stationed in Fort Campbell, Kentucky, which is, you know, maybe an hour outside of Nashville uh, for the next four years. Although for two of those, I was in Afghanistan or for the better part of two of those years, I was in Afghanistan. 
And that was, you know, really interesting, really eye-opening, got to see a whole different part of the world and um, presented some interesting challenges and opportunities. Uh, on my first deployment, we were partnered up with a Afghan police unit, and our whole mission or goal was to coach their officers, their leadership on basically just running a more effective organization or, you know, trying to share some of the principles that we use in our own military to coach them to be more self-sufficient, self-sustaining, and, you know, hopefully stand up for themselves and secure their district against uh, the Taliban better. Okay. So let me get this right. So you're stepping out of college, fresh college graduate, you go into uh, basically like an army pressure cooker where they teach you a whole bunch of stuff. And then you come out on the other end and you, as a 22-year-old, 23-year-old, you're in charge of 39 other soldiers. Uh, question one, what do they teach you in that pressure cooker to put you in a position where you felt confident being in charge of 39 other people? And then second, how do you go about winning the trust and respect and confidence of your team? Good questions. I'll start with the second one. One of the most important things that I learned um, and that I tried to live by as an officer is just recognizing that you are the 22-year-old. Uh, yeah, maybe you finished college and you went through these big fancy army schools, but there's a lot of soldiers in your platoon who have 10, 12, 15 years of experience and they know a lot more about what being in the army means. Uh, for most of them know a lot more about what being in combat means than you do <laughs> at that point. So I think the, the biggest thing for me was just to rely on the experience of the team members that you have that, that you're fortunate to learn from or recognize that you're, you don't know everything. In fact, you don't know a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you don't, that's okay. You don't need to know everything. It's okay to admit when you don't know and to really rely on the experience and expertise of your teams. And I'm sure that they respected that as well. You, rec you being humble enough to recognize, I don't know, I need to, to learn from your experience. Yeah. Uh, was that, how did they respond when you, when you approached them with that degree of humility? Yeah, it's I think pretty much everybody would appreciate being treated in that way, you know, uh, having their leader admitting and recognizing that they don't know everything and they need the, the input from the team to, to really make, make it work. Um, yeah. So what was some of the training that they put you through in, in those schools? Did they teach you some of the, <clears throat> these principles, like how to work with an NCO really effectively, um, how to lead? soldiers in combat? What were those things that they taught you? Yeah. So a lot of the principles that you learn like through ROTC or whatever your commissioning source is, um, you know, the three most common are really the only three that I know of are officer candidate school or ROTC mm -hmm. or um, a military academy like West Point. You know, some of the leadership principles from there, like how to write uh, an order uh, an operations order, how to do some of that strategic planning and tactical planning and small unit tactics. So you learn a lot of that stuff. Um, but it's not really until you get to your branch specific schools, like for me, infantry officer school and then ranger school, where I feel like you're really putting a lot of those things to, to the test. And what I think 
what I would attribute the success to of those types of schools for preparing you to be a leader is they force you to do it. You know, you're not just learning about it in a textbook. You're running missions that are simulated combat missions and you rotate through who's the platoon leader for this mission, who's the squad leader, which, you know, a platoon is made up of four squads generally. So, you know, you rotate through all these different positions. So you kind of get a sense for what it's like to be the soldier who's carrying the heavy machine gun on the mission uh, to the squad leader to who's managing the efforts of nine soldiers to what it's like to be the platoon leader who's managing the efforts for all 39 soldiers. So you get you get a lot of practice and experience going through that. Ranger school, I think, was the the biggest. I learned a lot. I learned the most in that school than than any other. Um, but m- most importantly, I think like I learned more about myself, and I think that's what uh, one of the biggest outcomes of that school is. I think you do learn some le- good leadership principles, but you learn that the human body and mind are capable of a lot more than than you thought they were. Yeah, uh, going into it, which I think also helps prepare you for tougher situations down the road when you're in combat or, um, you know, in a tough business situation or training for a marathon or whatever the case may be, I would have never fathomed that human body can walk for 10 or 12 miles after having 30 minutes of sleep over the prior 48 hours, you know, but that's the type of stuff that you're doing in ranger school. And when you come out on the other end of it, you realize that, you know, I can do a lot more than than I ever even thought was was possible. And I just think that, you know, that's important for, you know, enduring hardships for the rest of your life. (laughs) Yeah. What I hear come through there is something that we talk about a lot, which is, you know, before we talked about this sense of like genuine humility that you had working with officers who are more experienced than you and, and you coming and, you know, being humble enough to say, hey, I don't have experience in this topic area. I, I need the team. But then What you just talked about, which I think is the other counterpoint, is you need to have this sense of real, authentic confidence. And you going through those different experiences, learning and gaining not a cockiness or or something that's unearned, but a very real and earned sense of confidence. So you were able to step into that role, even as a young leader, and say, yeah, I'm, I'm humble in the areas where I need to be humble, but I also have this deeply rooted sense of confidence in my abilities and I've been put to the test and I'm confident coming out that that you can you know fulfill the mission that you had at at hand would that be an accurate sort of representation yeah I think so and to your point you know it is important and one of the like principles that you're taught and what you're graded on is being able to project that confidence so you know I mentioned it's okay to admit when you don't know things or um, seek out the opinions of others. Yeah, I mean that's all hugely important. But when it's when it comes time to brief your plan, your operations order that you came up with, you know you got to deliver that confidently in order to ins- you know instill the confidence in the in the soldiers. And you know that obviously carries over to business as well. Um, everybody yeah. wants to follow a leader who they at least think knows what they're doing. <laughs> so. You know, I guess to to that point, I think it's super important to gather the input and experience of others when formulating the plan, um, when it comes time to execute the plan and, and 
deliver the plan, I think it's important to, you know, really own it at that point and execute it with confidence. Yeah, let's dig into that planning process a little bit more. And maybe within the context of it's such an interesting mission that you had training up really a, a police force from a completely different context across the world that is in a very different culture and experience. How did you go about developing the plan to fulfill the mission? So I'll start off by sharing something that I think is, is an important part of the Army's strategic planning process, which is every time that there's an order or every time you're planning a mission, you need to plan it within the what they call the commander's intent from mm. two levels above you. So for me, if I'm a platoon leader, then two levels above me would be my company commander and then battalion commander. So that's, you know, two officer groups above me or two organizational levels above me, I guess would be mm. a better way to say it. And I think that's that's important, you know, to make sure that everyone's rowing in the same direction. And that's kind of how you keep a, a big organization moving in the same direction. So my battalion commander was operating two levels above him to his brigade commander and uh, division commander. I think that's a super important concept of just um, like nested mission planning hmm. uh, to to make sure that everybody's moving in the same direction as I as I mentioned. So another important concept that we always used with mission planning was backwards planning. And a lot of these things seem basic, but it's easy to forget some of the, the most basic principles when, you know, faced with maybe like a new business problem, how to even think about it. So we always start with backwards planning. What is the overall objective that we're trying to accomplish yeah. and what all needs to take place in order to make that happen? And that's something that we talk about a lot as well. And I think that nested mission is a great term that I haven't heard before, but it's really similar in principle to something that we talk about at Teams & Co. a lot. And when we work with our clients and we're going through something like a strategic planning process, which you even use that, that terminology, and starting with first and foremost, understanding in the business context, who, who's the customer? And what does, you know, we equate organizational success as delivering value for that customer. So mm -hmm. by understanding who's the customer, and then understanding how does our organization within our competitive context deliver value to that customer is fundamental. And from there, for organizations understanding, okay, well, what role does my business unit contribute to the overall success of my organization? And then from there, rolling that down to what's my individual role and what's the role of my team in contributing to that overall organizational value. And in that way, within a, a business context, Every person should be able to understand what's my role in delivering value ultimately to, to the customer. And even if you're in a back office function that isn't directly interacting with customers, like if you listen to our interview with Brett Hampson, uh, he talks about that where he's on a in a back office finance team. And ultimately, if they do their jobs well, they're able to control costs and drive efficiencies in the organization which results in a better customer experience by driving prices down, which is a huge then you know that's that's a major purchase decision for customers and, and impacts the customer experience. So Caleb, I think what you're talking about has some direct applicability to to the business realm. And I know that we've spent a, a lot of time talking about your military experience, and I know you and I have had so many conversations there, and there's such great translations, like we just talked about setting up a strategic or a tactical military plan 
and how that carries over to the business world. So just sort of recognizing time, I'd, I'd love to spend more time talking about the your experiences in the military, but would love to bridge over to your business experiences. Can you talk about walking out of the army? Maybe what were some of the big things that you say, I'm going to carry these with me for the rest of my life. And then can you just give a, a sketch of what your life has been like since leaving the military? Yeah. So for a number of reasons, I decided to get out of the army. Like I mentioned, it was a, it was an awesome experience. I really loved it. I look back fondly on it. Um, but I was gone a lot and I reckon, you know, it's important to me at some point to have a, to have a family of my own. Uh, so that was probably the biggest reason for me leaving the military, which plenty of people are successful in, in having a wonderful family life that, that do choose to stay in as a career. For me, I thought, you know, it would be super important for me at some point when I'm a dad to be at the soccer games and parent teacher conferences and stuff like that. So that was my biggest driver for leaving the military. Um, but then there was this question of what the heck am I going to do with myself uh, from here? So I was fortunate. I went through kind of a, a headhunter organization that does job placement, matches up companies who are looking to hire junior military officers separating from service and those officers who are separating. Um, so I got a, I was very fortunate. I had a, a bunch of opportunities at a number of really good companies, but it was really just a matter of deciding what I wanted to do. I decided to join a management consulting firm in their downtown Chicago office. And for me, I guess the biggest reason for that was, you know, I spent the past five years in the military. If I compare myself to peers that are, uh, you know, that I graduated college with, they have five years of business experience that I, that I missed out on. Yeah, I had all this other great experience, but it wasn't business experience. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought management consulting would be a really good way for me to get a lot of business experience in a really condensed amount of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I spent the next four years doing management consulting and a lot of the a lot of the projects that we focused on were growth strategy. So how does company X grow their top line revenues, generally speaking, at a high level was the type of business problems that we were helping companies try to solve. And there's a bunch of different levers that you can pull. And our job was to try and help figure out which which of the levers would be the most impactful uh, to pull at which times. Yeah. If I could summarize my my four years in, of consulting work <laughs> in a couple sentences, I would say that was the, the types of business problems we were solving. Um, but, you know, deep my my passion has always been in finance and personal finance. So after I left consulting, I had an opportunity to join one of my best friends from my time in the military. We actually went through ranger school together and would talk about personal finance stuff through sleepless nights in the, in the <laughs> Georgia mountains and swamps. <laughs> um, no, I don't think we were talking about much finance stuff then. We were just trying <laughs> to stay alive. But anyways, point being, um, he was a successful financial planner before joining the military, did his stint in the military, and then came back to personal financial planning. And the stars just happened to align where his business partner of many years was retiring. He needed somebody to come in and, and help serve the clients that they'd already been working with for many years. And yeah, that was just a really kind of great opportunity that just so happened to, to line up and uh, I you know, couldn't be happier. So that's what led me to, to Cleveland. And you know, so now we're franchise owners of an Ameriprise financial practice. 
our yeah. reps rally point wealth management with just a little nod to our to our military service. But obviously, it's a completely different world than management consulting or uh, what we were both doing in the military. Yeah. So the additional background on where how I got to where I am today. Yeah. So Caleb, you know, looking at sort of your career, you've had three distinct chapters of your career. One is army officer as a management consultant, and now as an entrepreneur, a business owner, where you're focused on setting the strategy and executing that strategy for your own customers. Can you just walk us through, are there any distinct common threads that sort of weave between those three career chapters? Uh, maybe just in terms of how you, how you approach work or how do you approach the, the job in each of those roles? And then maybe what, what are some major differences between those as well? Yeah. So I definitely think there are common threads, you know, and some of the principles that we've already discussed carry have, I've just witnessed them carry through all of these, you know, what the ideas of like nested mission statements and, and principles like that. I mean, that obviously works in, in backwards planning. Um, that same can be said for management consulting. I already described how that was kind of applicable in, in the army, but in management consulting, one of the phrases that you'll you'll hear a lot is boiling the ocean. Yeah. Um, so it's really easy when you're presented with a mountain of, of data and number of, you know, there's so many different questions that you could find yourself really going down a rabbit hole on trying to boil the ocean. Uh, so I really think that, you know, having a good plan in place to always remember what's the objective that we're trying to solve for here and what are the steps that I need to take in order to solve it. Of course, you know, sometimes the plan changes and now you are going to solve for a different question that you originally intended for. But that should be a thoughtful and deliberate choice at that point, not just uh, because you got sidetracked on something and ended up spending two weeks out of your six-week project trying to answer a question that ultimately isn't going to be impactful for the client that you're trying trying to help. So I guess that's a, an example of how I saw backwards planning and you know keeping the objective in mind and keeping your commander's intent from two levels above you in mind at all times as well. Nice. Uh, and then, you know, I think the same thing is true for our practice here that my partner and I run. You know, it's clearly uh, such a completely different level of organization than some of the Fortune 500 companies that I was doing consulting projects for or the Army, which is a huge organization. So there's a lot less bureaucracy a lot, you know, we're able to be a lot more nimble and um, make decisions kind of on the fly for how we want to run the practice. But ultimately, again, it's easy to, if you're not constantly focused on what your overall objective is, which for us as the owners of the business uh, is to provide an excellent client experience uh, and provide excellent service to our clients, then it's easy to get caught, caught up in the, min, you know, some of the minutiae of you know some of the planning and preparation and and stuff like that that can that can go into you know serving our clients so you can it's you got to keep the the big picture in mind you know of yeah. how we're constantly looking for how can we provide the best service to our clients um, that's great so let's let, yeah, yeah just what i was going to say for 
for type like business planning and strategy for us, you know, it's nice because my partner and I do have a lot of say over how we how we run the practice and our internal processes and procedures and stuff. But, you know, it all starts with coming up with defining what that common objective is. You know, I already said providing excellent service to our clients is is number one. But, you know, then what do what do we want our practice to look like? There's a lot of decisions decision making that goes into that. Do we want to grow extremely rapidly and ten years from now maybe have ten more advisors on our staff or twenty more advisors on our staff and, you know, serving a, a much larger client base, or do we want to keep it smaller and tighter knit like it is right now? You know, those are all the types of questions that we have to wrestle with, but it's important that we're on the same page with defining what our overall objective is. You know, it's it's constantly a moving target. But yeah, I, I'd love to dig into that j- just a little bit more. So how do you you and Zach think through some of those questions? Maybe first starting with the customer. What what is a a tremendous customer experience look like? How do you how do you deliver that maybe in unique ways in, in your industry, uh, in a way that helps you you guys separate yourself from the pack uh, and, and differentiate? Yeah, I, I'd love to just anchor back to if we say organizational success equals driving a superior customer experience or customer value, um, how do you guys think through that? Really just trying to put ourselves in the client's shoes, keeping the end in mind again. You know, I think it's always important for us to, yeah, like you're saying, define what does success look like. And for me, I started out as a client um, before I joined as as a partner working here. So I have a little, I've seen it from both sides now. But, uh, you know, I think just keeping in, in perspective, we want our clients to come away from our uh, planning meetings with them, feeling more confident and feeling like they have a plan in place and really being grateful that they received excellent advice. Yeah. Okay. So, Caleb, as you think about some of the big picture things that you learned in the Army, and as you look to take those into first your career as a as a consultant for four years working with clients, and then now as as a business owner, what's maybe one thing if you've got one thing that you would say is sort of applicable and that you've been able to use from your experience in the army, maybe in a different way in some of these different more corporate settings? Yeah, so one of the principles that we didn't touch on yet that I thought was just a really great lesson that I learned in the army was to put yourself where you're in best control of your element. You know, so how that relates to the army, I was thinking, you know, going into this thing, I'm going to be an infantry officer. I want to be the one kicking down the doors because that looks like it's the most exciting and it's dangerous and you should lead from the front. And, you know, I agree you should lead from the front, but, uh, you know, if you're the one who's always kicking down the doors as a platoon leader, for example, there's the rest of your element that you're not directing and controlling at that point. So I learned very quickly that although it looks cool in the movies um, and, you know, you want to be the the tough person kicking down the doors um, as an officer, that's probably not where you're going to best control your element. You know, so how I say that relates to something like management consulting, you know, if you're, if you're managing a project and you have a 
a team of analysts helping you on this project. And it, it can be easy to get bogged down in things like, hey, these PowerPoint slides for this presentation aren't really looking as nice as I want them to. I'll just fix them myself. Well, you've just removed yourself from the point where you could better control your element and you got bogged down. Spending a bunch of your own precious hours uh, fixing these slides, which is important. I don't argue that, but there's, you know, you gotta always think about what are all the things that you're not doing by taking yourself out of a position to, to better direct the, the efforts of others. So I, you know, not sure if that's what you were looking for, but I think that, you know, that is one, one good leadership principle that I learned in the military that I think is applicable to all businesses as well. I think it's great. I, I think we've talked through so many wonderful things that I think are pretty universal. One is, you know, we talked about sort of the how, the how of leadership and this idea of confident humility, uh, where you can be genuinely, authentically confident in your abilities and your skill sets, but also humble. We've talked about the idea of a nested mission, where you understand what's the overall organizational objective and how do I direct the efforts of myself and my team within that broader organizational context. And then, okay, really tactically, how do you do that? I mean, that sort of gets back to the idea of just driving role clarity. And, you know, we often use the the racy tool, which I know you're familiar with, Caleb, but just defining who's responsible and accountable for what. And as a leader being thoughtful and deliberate in where where is your role in the organization and how can you put yourself in the best position to serve as a leader and direct the rest of your team to direct the overall project forward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm not saying that um, the leader shouldn't be willing to dive in and get their hands dirty and do some of the, you know, help fix the PowerPoint slides. If that, you know, if it's crunch time and maybe that is the best place that you could, you can be to help support your team at that moment. Maybe, maybe it is time for that. So I'm not saying that there, and you know, maybe as an officer, you might find yourself in a situation where it's applicable that you're the one kicking down the door. You know, I think as a leader, you have to be willing to get your hands dirty and, and do the work, not just delegating everything out all the time, but just, again, as long as that's a thoughtful and deliberate decision that you're making. Yeah. And you do that a lot now, right? Where you and your business partner are in all the big strategic conversations. You're driving the strategy of your organization, but you're also the one executing it and working with clients and setting up financial plans and and helping them, coaching and advising them on a daily basis to help achieve their objective, which ultimately is financial stability and, and utilizing their resources to the best of your ability to help them achieve the life goals that they have. So I think that there's this idea of the person that's in the, the strategic conversation oftentimes is also the person driving and executing as well, which, which again, you're doing in your daily job right now. Yeah, that's true. You know, I think um, that's a major difference between the role I'm in now and, and some of my previous experiences. There's a lot more of the individual contributor nature to, to my current job. Um, yeah. But, you know, I still think a lot of these same principles apply because at the end of the day, we're trying to help people make good decisions with their money and for their own financial life. So, you know, there is still some leadership, I guess, involved with that. It's just uh, it's different than running a than managing a project team or leading a platoon in the army. 
Uh, but you're right. I think a lot of the same principles apply. Yeah. Oh man, well, Kale, this is this has been fantastic. I think that we've talked about so many things that ultimately are are what we talk about a lot here at Teams and Co. and on this podcast. Um, and we've used some, you know, military terminology. We've we've used some uh, some corporate jargon and stuff as well. But just understanding overall, a lot of the principles remain the same. Where you lead with authentic humility, you define role clarity, and ultimately try to understand what am I doing as an organization and, and how do we best serve our customers. Caleb, for anybody that's out there that's listening and, and understanding, hey, I, I'd love to work with a financial advisor that is a veteran that has served our country that uh, thinks this deliberately and this thoughtfully about uh, business in general and you know, understanding that you seek to carry all those lessons forward for your customers, where can they find you? Yeah, that's a great question. If you uh, happen to be in the Cleveland, Ohio area, we have two offices, one in uh, West Lake, Ohio, one in Hudson, Ohio. Most people probably are not in the Cleveland suburbs. Uh, so, but, you know, we work with a lot of clients remotely. And for that, I would say just Google us uh, or there's going to be a link provided with the podcast. Uh, the name of the practice is Rally Point Wealth Management, and we're a, a franchise of Ameriprise Financial. It's ameripriseadvisors.com slash team slash rally point wealth management. Yeah. And we'll, we will be providing that in the link with this podcast. So be sure to go check out Caleb. Uh, it's a great practice. They, they really do a great job of setting the customer first and seeking to understand what your goals and objectives are with your personal finances and helping you to, to achieve those goals. Uh, really thoughtfully and deliberately, and they operate with a lot of well-earned confidence. Caleb, any any final thoughts that you would want to share with with the listeners of the Building Teams podcast? Again, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and and chat with you. It's uh, always great. Yeah, catching up and, and talking about business stuff with you. It's uh, just like the the old days in in Northwestern. <laughs> that's that's right. Go Cats. Uh, well, Caleb, it's great having you. And uh, I know that we've been a little bit long, but uh, this is just such a great conversation and really appreciate you you joining today. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks again for having me. You've been listening to Building Teams with Teams & Co. To learn more about the latest thinking on how to empower your team to deliver exceptional results or to book a consultation, please visit us at teamsandco.com or follow us at LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Mention of particular products or services and participation of a guest does not imply an endorsement by Teams & Co. The information provided is for educational and entertainment purposes and should not be taken as professional advice.